The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I want winners. I want people that want to win. All right, we're back with We Want Winners, the post-game show from the 49ers against the Broncos. Now, the reason why we weren't up last night after the game is my fault. I had to cover the UFC show for the uh, Wrestling Observer uh, Figure 4 online website. So Rod said he could do it Sunday. This is kind of a normal slot for us anyways. So that is why we are here on a Sunday uh, and for those listening on the podcast on a Monday morning instead of right after the game. Uh, so, Rod, before we go into our, you know, the folks who who kind of jumped out at us in a good way and, and then also in a bad way. What was your takeaways from the differences between game one of the preseason and game two? Well, it seems like, you know, obviously the offensive line went in, in ways. um was better. There was still, and just as we move on, we'll discuss some of those issues. But uh, overall, it was better. Um, just blocking up front, um, so that helped. Um, I think the quarterback play was vastly better. Yes. Um, Brock came in, did his thing. Um, wasn't bad. Um, he didn't put many points on the board, but I don't know how much of that had to do with him. And then again, they started a little slow, but then, I mean, I thought, and you know, as, as we'll, as we move on, I thought he was the best, best of the quarterbacks when you, I mean, obviously Brock had a, was in a small sample size. So Trey and Darnold played more. So there was just more of them to do. There was nothing Nothing you could say bad about what Brock did. It just there just wasn't a whole lot of it. Um, so, so in my ranking of what the quarterbacks did, he was last, but not because of any a fault of his own. He I mean, he just played very little, and there was more of what of those other guys to kind of judge. Um, but all of them played well, I thought, um, which is a great sign. So those were the things. And then another thing, another real big takeaway is that. Um, Ronnie Bell continues to be a revelation as a seventh round pick. I mean, again, he had problems too, but overall, I mean, he is, he is vastly more than what I would have thought he would have been at this point in camp. And it looks like, um, I I don't know how much we'll end up talking about Danny Gray, but with him, with Danny Gray and Rayway looking like they definitely won't be here for the first quarter of the season. Is that a collarbone um, injury with Danny Gray? They said that that was, I was watching with my uncle and that's what he thought it was. He oh, thought that's, he said initially, he said initially he thought he broke his collarbone, but it turns out it was just a sprain according okay. to David Lombardi. So um, he's saying broken collarbone. Um, you're looking around week eight. With this one, they say they're still doing testing according to what Lombardi said 
said that Shanahan said, which is third part, third, third party hearsay, I guess. <laughs> um, but according to Kyle, um, they're still doing tests, but um, it's definitely not a broken collarbone. Okay, that's good. A, a good, which is a good thing for him. But it looks like um, obviously one, two, three are Devo, Ayuk, and Jennings. But um, after that, I guess Willie Sneed is in there. Yeah. Um, Ronald Bell is in there. Um, but yeah, it looks like he's gonna. Point is between receiver. But and special teams, it looks like Ronnie Bell is going to have a pretty significant role for a um, seventh rounder, maybe. Because Kyle Shanahan also said, according to Lombardi, that it's possible that our returner is on another team right now. So, interesting. Yeah. That's actually really interesting because it's yeah. kind of what we were talking about in the Discord over the week, which is the idea that cutdown day is essentially one day. Right. It's right. not it's not the way that it's been historically done, which is you make cuts and you cut down and you cut down week after week. It's literally like there's a date and you got to you got to get your roster from 90, whatever to 50, whatever. And it all happens on one day. So you're going to see so much movement when those cuts happen, because there are rosters who are, are going to be eyeing that because the people on other rosters are better than the people on their rosters right now. And for the 49ers, it's more of a, a, a riches kind of thing. It's kind of like, Hmm, this person, you know, might be better than the last person on our roster. And maybe that is worth it to, to go chase somebody. So that that's going to be really interesting. Cause you know, I, I'm, we were talking about it. I kind of wondering like, you know, before someone hits the waiver wire, do you go, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll send you a seven, next year for this person because we don't want to you know we want that we would rather trade for him than than try and risk you know this this waiver system of, of getting him so that's that's pretty yeah because i mean because for those who don't know the way the waiver system works is if you are if you have less than five years vested in the nfl and the team waves you you um you are subject to waivers um if you are a vet um five years or more um, if they waive you, you are immediately a free agent. Free agent. You can you can you can sign wherever you want. But uh, if you're waived and you're not, then you go. You know, there's there's a waiver system in there. Um, for those of you who play football, fantasy football, the waiver system is kind of like that. In that, <laughs> depending on your record, um, you have um, you have the, the, a descending you know, from the worst team to the best team. Um, that's where you slot it in waiver order. So the 49ers would have a bottom waiver order in yeah. um, in most cases. Um, so if there's somebody you really want and you know that, I mean, and they all, this is a very, very close shop in terms of um, personnel people. So if you like somebody, you have a pretty good idea if there's somebody else who's eyeing them up. Um, and in most cases, that team is going to have a better waiver position than the 49ers. So if you want, if you got somebody, you see somebody you really, really like, I mean, and, you know, John Lynch is shown to be pretty, um, you know, he's been very sh shrewd and you can do things with future. Yeah. Future seventh and sixth and seventh round picks and whatnot. So if you want to really go be aggressive and get somebody, I think those um, those late picks might be in play this year 
more so than they have been in the past. It's going to be interesting because you got two things happening. You're going to have your jettison people off your roster, and then the games that get played with that. If you've watched how that ha has happened in the past, where you're hiding guys and you're putting guys on list as you know, um, um, IR and all those lists that are they're eligible for, so that you don't lose them just out to the market. And then there's going to be this whole thing of trying to um, acquire talent and then see how that all, you know, and then make it all into a cohesive roster. So it's going to be more fascinating than I think it's been in many years. So this is you know, something else we'll have to talk about um, in that three week gap or the, I guess it'll be two weeks um, from the last um, preseason game to the first regular season game. Our guy, Rick Feinberg, is checking us out. Shout out to Rick, one of the uh, most valuable people in our We Want Winners community here. Uh, so he, he, here's the thing, too, and, and this is a, a gamesmanship kind of thing. You know, let's say the Cowboys show an interest in, in one of these guys, and the Niners know that, and it's like, oh, um, you know, uh, I'm thinking of some team in the AFC. Oh, oh, Jaguars, by the way, we have this guy who, who you know, we'll, we'll, we'll trade. You know, we'll do a little trade because we don't want him to go to the Cowboys. Right. right? And, then you, and then you just bringing that up, then you got this whole other field of possibilities. Hey, I don't know, for, the, for 49ers, like we've got linebackers, lots of linebackers. Hey, you need a linebacker. You've got offensive linemen that are going to be cut potentially, and we have a weakness there. Where are there potential trades where I can send you this linebacker for this offensive lineman? And it's not about picks. It's just, you know, you're trading players at that point, um, which kind of sucks for the player because obviously in a perfect world, you want to be able to pick where it yeah. is. you're going to be able to go. But if you don't have, you know, which that's kind of if you're if you're not vested, then that doesn't really apply to you anyway because you're right. waivers. But I guess as a vet, that would suck if you got traded rather than released <laughs> because you know you'd, you'd prefer to be able to pick your landing spot. But you know, so it goes. Yeah, I, absolutely. I just I I find that part of it to be. Uh, an interesting thing, and, and the, maybe some of that happens. Maybe a lot of it happens. Maybe none of it happens. Because, like we yeah, said, exactly, this is this is kind of the we first thing. So it's we'll see new. what happens. Uh, yeah. All right, let's so let's talk about the the folks that that kind of jumped off the page in a good way. And I mean, you named the first guy who that come came to my mind is uh, uh, our guy uh, BBD, aka Ronnie Bell. He, mm -hmm. you know, he he did have the 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 fumble that he that that he picked up he also had the ball hit off of his face mask which was a a, a laser beam Again. from darnold which <laughs> turned into an interception so the those two things sort of you know made it so that it wasn't a perfect night for him but everything else that he did overshadowed even you know even the darnold pick i thought and man he is showing he, he's showing like you know, Debo's a, a one of a kind, right? But like he's showing some of the things that Debo does really well. And I did not expect that from him knowing as a seventh round pick. And even uh, our buddy Shelvin says he's not going to sneak onto the practice squad. He's mm -hmm. got to make this he, team. He, 
you can officially forget that. That's yeah. not a that's not gonna happen. And again, um shout out to David Lombardi and his reporting. Um he if you check it out, his article, he um interviewed a lot of the rookies after yesterday's game and Ronnie Bell was one of them. And in one of his answers, he shouts out Debo as somebody who was kind of taking him under his wing. And um, you know, they, you know, he he says, you know, he he's kind of patterning his game after Debo in terms of um being balanced and staying low and um getting those yards after contact. And it's showing some so um yeah it's it's definitely he is in a position where you can forget about um trying to hide him. You're either gonna I mean but I he's like I would he'd have to really poop to bed next week to um not make this team, I would think. Yeah. Uh another one of our uh our, our folks in the chat says that he's like he he made the team. HR said he made the team after last night. I sort of feel like he made the team after the first game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. Who else? Who else stood out to you? Um, I've got mine divided: offensive, defense. So we we said three apiece. So, um, I gave Ronnie Bell. So I'm gonna go defense on this on mm-hmm. mine for this next one, and I'm gonna go D winners. Mm-hmm. Um, he in a group that has really shown out with Flanagan Fouls playing pretty well. Um, McQuarrie Ball has really been a standout all camp really in terms of one of the linebackers and in that spot for um in that spot opposite um Greenlaw and Warner um he has really shown out but D Renners um they talked about him around draft time there's this little site that um you know they kick out comps to different players and his was um Dre Greenlaw and he has shown a lot of that ability all through camp and then yesterday it was just it was really out there on tape it was really great he was really good um so that I I, again linebacker we were concerned some of us I was concerned I'll put it like I'm not gonna say we I was concerned at what we were gonna do with Ashair because he you know he was more he was more than just a third wheel. You know, when Warner went out, he showed that he was he's not at Warner's level, but the fall off was not, you know, precipitous. Mm-hmm. He was a very, very good player. And um it was just a concern who was gonna be able to step up. And to get that from a rookie is, you know, um very promising. So what is the story with, with Burke? Um, I, I know he was injured. Uh, I'm not sure what the injury we, it is, but Lombardi said he's supposed to be about it back back out at practice tomorrow. Okay. So okay, good. So yeah, but uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know where he mixes in anymore as a starter. I would think it would be um, either Fowles or McQuarrie Ball. I don't think that winners, even after yesterday's performance, has necessarily vaulted. Um, into a starter position, but um, I think he's in the mix, and I think he definitely is. I I would, you know, I'm putting everybody on the team. Uh, I think he's made the roster already. I don't think he's he doesn't strike me. He doesn't profile from what I've seen in camp and then in of him in the games. He does not profile as a practice squad player to me. 
All right. So uh, I'm just going to bring up both QBs here because I thought both QBs played well. Now, Darnold had some of his bigger plays taken away from him because of penalties. I think there was a shot to Jennings. Uh, there was like a 20-yard play that they had to bring back. That was a great he, throw. He also had the, you know, you, you talked about Shanahan saying that, that that the returner is maybe not on this roster. I wish he would have said that about the second-team offensive line. He should have said the entire second team offensive line is not on our roster today because Sam Darnold, he didn't have it as bad as Trey had it last week, but you know, he had it pretty bad and he, you know, some of the the throws that he probably could have made were a little rushed. Uh, I know he got crushed on one, but I thought Sam played great. And I also thought, you know, Trey shook off a, a rusty, uh, first few plays, he threw the interception, which he, I think he kind of got baited into throwing that one uh, by the defense. But he he was able to show stuff that we've been wanting to see for him, the ability to step up in the pocket, the ability to create some space with his legs and then just unleash fastballs. Uh, he even got crushed on one that was uh, a shot down uh, the right sideline to to Lateau, uh and I, I, it was just a little bit underthrown, and I think Lato said that he he, he, he he took the blame he, for it was for, a poor adjustment. Yeah, yeah. he he didn't he didn't come back far enough to get it. So um, I thought both QBs played well. The the tray the tray love and the tray hate is very polarizing. Like I like to look at this stuff from as as base of of of, of a scenario as possible. Like I just want to look at it from okay, what, what's, what, what's the black or white here? But the national media wants to say that he's a bust so badly that they didn't even really talk about the good plays that he made. They only wanted to talk about that interception. And the home crowd wants him to uh, succeed so much that he just gets cheered like crazy. I'm, I'm in the middle. I want to see, see it for what it is. Obviously, I'm rooting for the guy. I've been rooting for the guy since they drafted him. But it's really hard to have, I would say, an unbiased opinion on Trey because all of the opinions around us are so biased. So I wanted to sort of take it because, you know, what what would be great, and and this unfortunately is probably not going to happen, but we got to see Brock with the with the ones, and that offense just moved right down the field. They didn't they didn't get in the end zone, but. Brock was doing Brock stuff, you know, running around and going the wrong direction and having to reverse field. He great. It, and he was, he was, it was fun. It was the same Brock that we had last year. I would love to see Trey with the ones. I also want to see Darnold with the ones. I wish we could run computer simulators to see right. how those guys would do too, because you know, there's so much talent on, on that side of the football and Brock does fantastic with it. I'm sure Shanahan could call certain plays with Trey and then certain plays with Darnold that he doesn't really call with Brock. And then Brock runs some plays that he wouldn't call with those other guys. It's just kind of crazy that you have three guys that I want to see play with this number one team offensively. But I really liked what, what both Trey and Sam did yesterday. The thing is, I mean, not to toot my own horn, because I talk, we, I've talked a lot about Trey and there, I, I make no secret of the fact that I am team Trey. Um, not to the, but not to the exclusion of everybody else. So it's not like I'm rooting against Brock or I'm rooting against Darnold or hell, I'm rooting against um, 
Brandon Allen. I, I, I would take all of them to play well because that was that's what puts us in the best position. Position, and I don't feel the need to to poop talk the other guys to prop up Trey. I mean, if they're play, if he, if Darnold plays well, he plays well. If he plays better than Trey, he plays better than Trey. What I don't like, like you mentioned, is how especially the national media who. At this point, I don't even listen to anymore because you can just tell there, there, there. There's always subtle things with the national reporters that just tells you that they aren't really in tune with what's going on here. Do does does Swagoo know more about football in general than I do? <laughs> yes, but does he know more about San Francisco 49er football in 2023? No, there's no way in the hell. And if he is covering nationally, that he can pay attention as closely to what's happening here as I do. It's, it's just, it's impossible for him to do that yeah. for ter- for 32 teams. Yeah. It, it just, you just can't do it. So um, I, I, I have pretty much dismissed all of them, especially you also kind of get dismissed if you never mention in, like it's all bad. Like everything that Trey does is bad that there's no he has no redeeming qualities. That is just, that's just irrational, and, you know. So you have to you know I've gotten to the place where I just have to pick who it is I'm listening to, and just kind of vet it and go from there. And here and here's the reason why I think local beat reporting is so valuable, because when the 49ers play another team and I want to sort of learn more about that team. I don't go to NFL.com necessarily. Mm-hmm. I go to whoever their beat reporter is, whether it's in the athletic or whether it's in some of these random newspapers that still exist. Cause I want to see what the guys who cover that team every day talk about. And which is why it is so valuable for us. Matt Barrows, Matt Mayoko, Lombardi, even though Lombardi mm-hmm. at sometimes is more editorial than uh, or than, than beat sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's so valuable to have guys who understand uh, and are really good at their job because us as fans, we learn more from that perspective than from w- what this national story is now. And the reason why ESPN is going to keep playing this video of Trey's interception rather than the touchdown play or getting the team down at the end is because for clicks and for views for the type of stuff that they do, Trey Lance as the number three pick in the draft in which the Niners traded three picks for as a bust is a better hot take than Trey Lance, the number three pick who the Niners traded three picks for is a backup. They they would rather him be the bust that gets cut because it's a bigger story. Now they don't want to see the guy out of a job, obviously, but for their audience, Trey Lance, the 49ers cut Trey Lance is a better story for them than for him just being the backup. Yeah. There, there is, this is such a rich topic. You said three things. You said thing. There are three different things out of what you said that um. I, I I have real strong thoughts about, but like you say, people need to we need to realize as fans that the the time in history, if that time ever really exists, because I think we existed, I think we um tend to there's a nostalgia with the past, but in today's world, 
these talking heads, and I don't mean that necessarily pejoratively, they are here for the licks, the clicks, likes, and shares. <laughs> they are not really here to be to to be given to drop to be dropping signs or telling us the right or wrong of a thing. Um, so, do I really think that Do um, um, Dan Orlovsky really believes that Joe Montana isn't one of the top five quarterbacks in NFL history? No, I don't believe that, but I know him saying that on NFL Live had him trending for three days. So, I mean, you know what that, else had him trending is when he stepped out of the back of the end zone, right? And then, and so, then when but, Jimmy I mean, did it too. <laughs> but that's the game, though. So he's just playing the game, like you say. It mm-hmm. makes more. It's more of a splash to say something outrageous, like shady, saying he doesn't belong to be in the league or he didn't have. He didn't have he didn't have quarterback instincts when he dropped out of his mama like Lombardi said. Um, you know those things are for the media that we're in today, um, are are what it's about. Another thing before I we go on to the next thing, I think it's interesting. And again, maybe my Trey bias is showing here that if we're talking about these two guys, Darnold and Lance being equal i think it's fair to mention that one of them has 55 nfl starts one of them has four nfl starts Mm -hmm. so if it's equal as i saw today or yesterday the more trey plays which i've been saying all along the more he plays the better he gets yeah which kind of duh i mean it makes sense he just needs reps live field reps and i i understand he's being being coached by Kyle Shanahan for three years. He's been being coached by Greasy for a year. And that's all well and good. But it makes sense to me that no matter how much he's been coached to do the right thing, being put out there in positions to do it in live action versus other teams and other players, I don't, and I'm not gonna, I'm not here to get into whether it was first string or third <laughs> string or none, none because because when you only have 125 pass attempts in the NFL, none of that matters. The reps are what matter. No matter who they're against, the live reps are where you're gonna get better. So now again, he was able to feel it. He got into the rhythm. He made some plays. He can, or even last week where it wasn't really that great, he's able to go back, they're able to coach him up, and he's able to go out there and do it again. And then it was better this week than it was last week. And so that is what we should be expecting from Trey is constant progression. Now we're about to get to a point in the season where he's not going to get any live reps, and he's probably not going to get many practice reps either. So it's a TBD on his development because it's going to be the Brock show um, from the first half tomorrow on. Because apparently he's going to do a lot of mimicking the other team's quarterbacks. Right. Right. You know, so according to Lombardi, he hasn't made it official, but Kyle kind of hinted in his um, press availability today that um, the starters will probably play close to a half next week. So, um, so Brock is probably going to get uh, an extended run, and then we'll be like, there. Will be again with um Trey and um Pert, um Trey and um Darnold trying to fight for scraps, and then poor Brandon Allen 
it doesn't like he's gonna probably might not get any more runs. Yeah, what was the so, what was his reasoning on joining this team? It it really doesn't mean because he was two on an AFC championship yeah. um contender last year. So I mean, he's I mean, say what you want about him, and he was he's not there's nothing spectacular about him, but he's clearly a competent NFL quarterback, and as I've said to people all offseason. There's no way in hell that there's 96, 95 players and 95 quarterbacks in NFL better than him. So he's definitely, if not, I, I doubt that there's 64 that are better than him. So he's not a number two. And with new rule changes, you know, making it, it doesn't really make any sense for a team not to have a third quarterback mm-hmm. hanging around. Um, just, you know, so that they don't end up Signing Josh Johnson in December, um, he would definitely. He's definitely not going to be a practice squad player. He's definitely an NFL quarterback. Um, so, like you say, but that makes him coming here kind of cu- a curious decision, unless him and his team were operating under the assumption that Brock might not be ready. Th- that's um, kind of what Papa said about Darnold. Like the the idea behind Darnold was. Well, we have no idea what what Brock is going to be like for the next year. Like, we really need a fail safe here, someone to compete with Trey, just in case. And so, you know, sort of the same thing, right? Like, the just just nobody knew about Brock, so you wanted to to stack as much talent as possible so that you didn't have the same situation as last year. Yeah, and and before we move on, I I was I was I'm not gonna lie, I was living. At um, Greg Papa's clearly better than Trey Lance comment in regards to Darnold, but he walked that he walked it back this week. Mm-hmm. And um, in talking about the new media, he admitted that he misread. He, he had no idea that this situation was such so newsworthy that something like that would make the news that it made. And it creates an awkward situation because he said he doesn't have anything against Trey, but that comment puts him in a position where it makes it seem like he does. He's the lead and, broadcaster on the, the uh, for the team, and the lead broadcaster is also your truth to the fans like the 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 broadcaster is there to tell you what you are seeing or if you're listening to radio what you cannot see so there is a value of a truth statement whenever papa talks so when he does get sort of conversational and then people take what you know his his maybe his his real thoughts versus what should be the uh how he should talk about this as a lead broadcaster of course, <laughs> like that. People are going to run with that. People, every blog yeah. possible is just looking for content and they're going to listen to a Tim Kawakami podcast. They're going to listen to you on a broadcast in week one. And Tim Ryan, who I, you know, I kind of shaded last week because I, I just don't, I don't really like him as a broadcaster, yeah. but also mm-hmm. I feel he is, he is basically saying what the mm-hmm. company wants him to say that the team and or, he did walk it back a little bit. He when Trey came into the game on Saturday night, he said, "Papa said, look, the stats say X. What was on the field 
doesn't back up what the stats say. And then Tim Ryan said, yes, he struggled with the four sacks. But let me be clear, that was also the product of the offensive line, not solely his fault. And that's what I took umbrage with him last week, which was him blaming the entire thing on Trey when it was clearly an offensive line issue as well. So they both they both had to walk it back this week. So it wasn't just me that I noticed that the tone and tenor and in regards to Trey Lance was different with both of them. And um, Papa even mentioned that, you know, and he should know better. He is, I don't know how long he's been doing it. Late, since been, the mid-80s, he's been doing, uh, you know, broadcasting in the NBA. He, he, he's been doing it long enough to know that, in his position as lead broadcaster, he is sort of a mouthpiece for the 49ers. And when he has a five-day-a-week radio gig that's not that gig, and he's out there just spewing his talk radio opinions, that's fine for him to have talk radio opinions. But people are going to assume that he is speaking with some sort of inside knowledge and that if he's down on Trey Lance, it's because he knows something that we don't. When he clearly has it, he, he so much as admitted that his opinions are his opinions and don't necessarily, it's not like he talked to Kyle Shanahan and that's how he formed his opinion. He goes out there and watches like I would or you would, and he formed his opinions. And then he gets on the radio with Lund and talks about it five days a week. And, but then some, but like you say, he's got another job. And that other job just happens to be <laughs> the play-by-play um, host or play-by-play broadcaster for this football team, which, you know, like it or not, or um, rightfully or not, gives what he says some sort of gravitas. So, so he, this because lo- it doesn't mean that he knows. I mean, what I've I've known, you know, because I listen to Brent Musburger and on down the line. So I know that just because they hold that job doesn't mean that they know anything about what the <laughs> hell they're talking about. So, so I'm not a, I'm not under that illusion. But a lot of people do give what he says credence because of his proximity to the team. The um, the 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 ch- there's been a change in sort of how this works too because I can remember all the way back to like. 1997 when Bob Fitzgerald took the got the Warriors job which was Papa's job and he came in at a lower price and the Warriors like hey okay well we're gonna we'll we'll bring you on and Bob has been the voice of the Warriors ever since now back then if I'm remembering this correctly KMBR had an issue with Bob becoming the lead broadcaster because they did not want Bob's three hours on their station to just be warriors PR. Right. Right. So I, so, and so it's changed because it doesn't seem like the station cares as much, but some of that is also because, you know, ratings are down and and radio is kind of, you know, a a dinosaur these days, but also, I mean, in this market, if you're going to talk three hours of Warriors any time a year, that's probably not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. But, but for Pop, if he is going to uh, have a take on the 49ers and KMBR 
is a 49er station. They're, they're not, it's not just Papa the broadcaster. They're able to create content around the, the station on, you know, little packages of, of what Papa's saying because he is a very valuable person and they have him on KMBR. You want to hear the opinions of the lead. So it's just that it's just changed so much from, you know, back in the day when I was a very young person, you know, looking at, at getting into radio, just the ethic, not, it's not even an ethics thing. It's, it's more of like a strategy thing in what you want out of these folks. So it's, you know, it's just different from what I remember, but, they, you know, there he does have to be a little bit more, more careful. Maybe a little bit less Brett Favre gunslinger, and you know, pull, pull it back just a little bit until, you know, this situation is figured out. But you and I are old enough to be able to go back to, you know, KMBR and all the radio and everything when it was Joe versus Steve. Nothing it will ever be mm-hmm. Joe versus Steve yeah. ever in our lifetimes ever again. You know, it's so funny how I've seen people in some, I, I spent a lot of time in these, too much time in these 49er Facebook groups. And there have been several posts that um, wisp nostalgically about the um, the harmony between Steve Young and Joe Montana. And it's funny because anybody who was there knows that it was none of that, that there were team factions they didn't really care for each other. Um, Eddie and Bill didn't see eye to eye on much of that. Um, it, it was it was never as clean as some people would like to make it out to be. And social media just makes it a lot different, you know. So we don't really, um, we didn't really. If it wasn't for like, um, you know, Lowell Cone and. Um, Ratto and those guys giving us us you know pulling back the curtain and and showing us you know where any of those dysfunctions we didn't really have any access to it like we do now or sports talk radio I guess was 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 kind of I guess our social media of that time where we could get on there and um you know vent but th- but that didn't live anywhere you know if I got on um. 560 or 680 and ranted about what I felt about Joe Montana or Steve Young, it never went any further than that. It, that was just, if you weren't listening at that particular time, you know, it didn't, it, it didn't register anywhere. So it yeah. wasn't like there was this collective conscious of like, like you say, if you go back, if you just put Brock Purdy into a um, Facebook chat or a Twitter search i mean it you know i I don't recommend doing that (laughs) but um if you do that for any of those quarterbacks you're gonna have all manner of opinions yeah all over the spectrum in a way that just wasn't even it wasn't even possible in 19 you know 86 ish or whatever i've uh i've mentioned this uh on a previous show that we've done but it was probably 87 or 88. Uh, my buddy invites me to his uh, Church of Latter-day Saints or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, because Steve Young was speaking and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I wasn't going to join his church, but I was definitely going to go hang out at the church. If I could see Steve Young 
talking. This is before Steve got the job. And he told this story about he in Montana. And the first year that he was in San Francisco, Montana invited him over for Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, as he is introducing himself to the Montana family, uh, young children, one of the one of the daughters said, oh, daddy, is, is that the guy that you hate? <laughs> while, 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 while they're at the, the, the turkey dinner. The you know, and, yeah, right. So, <laughs> you know, that the, there was there was most oh, that's awesome. <laughs> there was mostly just competitiveness there. And to Joe, I'm sure it looked like Steve was trying to take his job. And to Steve, I'm sure it looked like I desperately want this job. Who doesn't want the job of QB one of the 49? So, you know, there was never going to be Kumbaya. Like you see Brock and Trey seemingly they're like really, really good friends. And, uh, you know, so if it was uh, maybe if it was 88 49ers, they would actually not be the greatest uh, of friends. But anyway, let's uh, get back to what we were talking about. Do you have another uh, another player who, who stood out to you in a good way? Well, we did. You did quarterback. So I'm going to I guess I'm just going to go ahead and stick on the defensive side because we did Lance. Um, I, I have Jennings, too, would have been my number three. on. Or, or, well, actually, never mind. I got a couple of others off this. Well, I'm going to go defense. And Quantrez Knight, that dude, you know, he jumped off his um his measurables jumped off the page last year, but he just, you know, didn't play enough really to um to stick and was on the practice squad all last year. But um that dude for a speed guy, he is he'll come up and hit you too. I mean, he is a really, really intriguing prospect. I really I liked all that I saw from him yesterday. And um, I've always kind of liked his package. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how this this DB thing shakes out. Because you look around now, as, and although he played, he didn't play, he played pretty bad yesterday. Ambry Thomas did. But yeah. um, that, that the combination of moving him outside and moving Debo in, Demo inside to nickel, um, Seems to be like there's money there. And then, um, you know, I don't know what that means for like, like Womack, who played really well again yesterday. Uh, Oliver, man, and my man struggling. He is not, <laughs> he has just not been very good. But you figure, I don't know. I mean, which he struggled so bad that I don't even know if being Wilkes' guy is going to be able to save him when you've got so many of these younger guys that who for whom it just makes more sense to keep a younger guy over an older guy, even if you have invested money in them. You know, as we saw last season with um, Suddy, that the guaranteed money really didn't matter when it came down to it. You know, it just made, even from a financial standpoint, if it's equal, if you feel it's equal, which, you know, um, you know, the revisionist Kyle says that he knew that Brock was the best play quarterback on the team. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not even going to go into that. But even if, if it's equal, even if you've paid Suddy um, this $2 million guaranteed, Brock being on a $1 million deal over the long term, it's, it just makes more financial sense mm-hmm. even to um, keep the younger guy. So I think Oliver might find himself in that place, although as we kind of saw, 
with Womack, with all of them, with with Demo, with Thomas, and with Womack, that you know, counting on rookies is kind of you know a rookie looking good early and then falling off is kind of you know par for the course. So yeah. maybe Oliver hangs around because you know he's healthy and he's got experience and maybe whatever the hell he's dealing with, he's able to kind of work through and play better. But I don't know. He has not. He's all through camp and in the two games, first two games, he has not looked good. And Womack and Knight were both on my list of defenders who who stood out to me. So Oliver is one of the ones on on my negative list, uh, probably on yours as well. Mm-hmm. And and that was the question was, you know, is it bad enough that not only, you know, that 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 uh, nickel job is in jeopardy, but the, the in jeopardy of even making the team, you know, it Damn. comes to that thing of where like, okay, like, you know, we have this guy, he's a vet. He's not going to make our roster, you know, but who needs, uh, who needs a nickel who, you know, who doesn't currently have one. And, and that, that, that could go back to what we were talking about with the mm-hmm. machinations of, of how you create that roster. But yeah, it's two, two, uh, two tough ones in a row for him. And you would hope, cause there's only one more game left. <laughs> He's only got one more opportunity outside of the practices, of course, to uh, really make a, his stamp. Um, but you would also kind of think, and you've been you've been saying this the, the whole time, is that he's Wilkes' guy, and that still does mean something. It, it absolutely one hundred percent does, because Wilkes has been through the hard times with this guy before, and and he probably knows him better than anybody. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a tough thing, but. It's it's it it really is interesting that we have gotten to a place where you know for for years and years our DB room, especially our cornerback room, has been a source of consternation. But we've got a lot of young, talented blood in there, and you know, it 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 would not shock me that if we're that we were sitting here six months from now in our end of season review hopefully after a Super Bowl and that unit, you know, be somewhere on the list of the most impactful units on this team. You know, the safety's right there, the DB, I mean, those guys are really good. And I think our cornerback room has a chance to be really good, especially with Steve Wilkes. And we haven't seen a lot of it, obviously, but in camp, He's gonna have those guys blitzing. A there, lot. there were some. There were some yeah. yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, that, and when you that were and, nice, and, yeah. And when you put, you know, in the big elephant in the room, which we're gonna talk about, I think, according to the show notes at the end, you drop Nick back in there. Yeah, that makes all of that a whole lot more impactful when you're not just blitzing because you need to um, to generate you need those guys to generate pressure when that's a luxury, when you're getting push from Armstead and Hargrave and Nick, and then whoever else, you know, um, and then you add on top of that safety and corner blitzes. I mean, this thing has the chance of being a really, really scary situation. Um, And I think we can be really good. I think we can be. I think we can be better than we've been, which is saying a lot. All right, who else on your positive list before we move to uh, more uh, of the negative? 
Well, I'm okay. Since we we've done that, I've got we've done all mine on the pot on the defense side. So I'm gonna go Debo. Debo looked real good. Um, you know, PFF had him had as the top graded offensive player on our on our team, and he really set the tone with that. You know that that little route combination that they you know used to open the game. Those type of routes are going to be there all year for all those guys. They're one of the, you know, not it's not Debo related, but I've been having, I posted a question on a few sites on um, what do you, do you, what do you think the chances are, uh, what are the chances of CMC having 95 to 105 targets this season? Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like anything, the the um, conversation varies. But my point is, if you just look at just the running back routes, screens, swing passes, um, wheel routes, checkdowns, you know, that's going to be a cheat code for Brock in terms of, and, you know, we already saw it last season. He had seven targets a game last season. Um so six point something or whatever um that extrapolates out to 102 and he's never had under in any season that he was healthy he's never had under 100 targets so because it's just that's just stealing it's stealing money and then you've got that with all these guys the way kyle is able to open guys up you know brock is going to be just throwing darts to open receivers and so i, I just think everybody debo on down the line is this is going to be a it's going to be a feast for them but the, the the question becomes um does do we have enough pass attempts for everybody to eat the way they want to you know i've, I've heard people talk about having you know 30 to 35 pass attempts a game which i guess sounds nice but that's not really it, Kyle football, though. It's contrary to all the numbers that say the all the stats that when we rush it 25 to 30 times, you know, it's like we win like 80% of the game. So if we're throwing it around 35, 40 times, I think it means because it's because we are, you know, behind, behind. <laughs> a whole bunch. And I don't think that, you know, something's gone horribly wrong if that's the case. So I just, I just don't think, don't think that um i don't think game scripts are going to allow us to get much over over 25 passes a game um but that we plenty enough for us to win the whole crap ton of games oh yeah let, we got to talk about the special teams <laughs> oh. it was uh moody missing an extra point it was short kickoffs Money, it, Mitch. it was money making Mitch, like just hitting some ducks. <laughs> um, it was a Deshaun Jameson fumbling uh, on a punt return. Uh, that that is like you can sort of tell by the way Kyle talks about it in in the media. Like the special teams is just something he doesn't want to have to worry about. He's just hmm. like I've I'm running this high powered offense. We got all these defensive players. We have such great athletes. How come we we don't, you know, we're having these troubles now, obviously, second game of the preseason. So this is not like the what's going to be actually when, when they play. We know Mitch is going to be fine. Mitch is, Mitch is, uh, is a good punter. But 
the Jake Moody thing two weeks in a row does make you worry a little bit because the one thing we didn't have to worry about over the last few years is Robbie Gould uh, being an inconsistent kicker. Now, not going to kick it out of the end zone. Uh-huh. He's not going to hit you 50 plus, but you get close enough and he's money and you don't have to worry about it. And so far we're having to worry about Jake Moody. It's, you know, it's funny, you know, that when uh, you watch those guys in camp, because I had, you know, of the nine days I was there, there were three days where, as I kind of laid out to those who I talked to in the group, and I might even sit on the show, they're practicing on two fields. And three days we got the punters and the kickers um, at the field, on the field closest to us. And you watch those guys, I mean, you want to talk about, you want your kids to grow up to be, kickers because those guys are over there <laughs> throwing the ball off the goal post <laughs> they're trying to drop kick it off the goal post i mean it, it, you want to talk about just over there chilling <laughs> but uh, what i will say about which it, which is not a good look if, if things are going bad yeah but what i'll say about both of those kickers moody and mitch Moody is a freak. I mean, he kicks the ball so freaking hard and so high. I mean, it's noticeable. And Zane Gonzalez is a good NFL kicker. But, I mean, it was like the difference between night and day. But there were several times with Mitch, when he got back out there because he was out early, there were a couple times they when he was out, they were using the jugs gun for all the punt stuff. And there was a couple of times when he came back that he was kicking it so high and far that you couldn't tell the difference between men. Was that the judge? <laughs> I mean, his leg is incredible. But then for him to come out there to, uh, yesterday and just, he's just, you know, kicking ducks, you know, it, it was, you know, it's gotta be, like you say, it's gotta be frustrating for those guys to even be an issue. You know, you just got, you stay over there. Yeah. And when I call you out here, you do your job and then you go away and, you know, just don't talk to me or I don't want to hear about you until I need you. Um, So I don't want you fumbling, you know, snaps. I don't want, I don't, you know, I don't want the kicker. If the kickers and the punters are news, something has gone horribly wrong. We got it. We got a comment from uh, Fable JVC, and I'm not even gonna double check this. I'm just gonna go with this as the truth because I want it to be the truth. He's talking about the goat Justin Tucker. Said Justin Tucker went four for eight on field goals in preseason his rookie season. So if if you're giving me stats about the goat kicker as it pertains to my kicker, I'm just gonna go with it and let let's Jake Moody's gonna be. As good as Justin Tucker. That's right. what that statement exactly. means to me. One plus one equals two. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I'll, I'm I'm rolling with that. Thank you for the comment. Uh, um, now, Jameson, uh, who is a defensive back, and we just got mm-hmm. done talking about the defensive backfield. Uh, it would seem that having that extra skill of returning kicks and punts would give him a, a leg up to, to possibly make the team, but also fumbling a punt is, is like worst case scenario. And, good. and uh, yeah, I feel, I feel really bad for him because in, I mean, in not, not in this like, Oh, what was him kind of thing, but like mm-hmm. the opportunity. And then you flub it like that. 
in a game and you know two games where where the mistakes are there mm-hmm. and and I'm sure really really frustrating but uh, at least you know Ronnie Bell can then go on offense and he can catch seven balls and he can mm-hmm. you know for over 100 yards and he can sort of redeem himself that way for Jamison as a defender he's not able to redeem himself uh, as easily so felt really bad for him but uh you know he's going to be uh, on the bubble I think right and it's um it's funny um Tim Ryan was talking about the special teams coach coaching him up on just getting the ball and going because he has this tendency to try to try to um, find the lane or want to go backside and realize he doesn't realize how fast the NFL is because at Texas, he was able to, with his athleticism, just kind of allow things to develop and then go get it. Like, man, you're going to get ear hold out here standing around trying to pat your feet, waiting for something to happen. These dudes are coming way too fast for that. You need to go get what's there and then get down because these guys are coming hard and fast. This is not the Big 12 or whatever the hell, wherever the hell you came from. <laughs> All right. Who's on your list here? Who else is on your list? It's a trio. And I know I talk way more about offensive linemen than most people care to. But that is, you know, in my little funky coaching career, that's where I coached, and that's kind of it's kind of my baby. Um, so to give you guys a peek behind the curtain, when I'm watching the games, I'm recording them, and when something bad happens, I'm able to bring it back and figure out to have notes for you guys, um, you know, with the linemen and, and, you know, what happened on what plays. Being able to rewatch the game this afternoon and not have a show, I was able to, you know, kind of do deep dives into what was happening across the offensive line. And so my three guys are Leon Watson, um, John Feliciano, (laughs) (laughs) and Jake Brindle. Um, Our center position is a problem. You know, I'm just... Jake is just kind of small for me. He's just not the kind of center. You know, coming off Alex Mack, he's just not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. But he did a serviceable job last year, and that's great. He wasn't good yesterday. Um, and Mr. Feliciano, he is a veteran, and he's done a lot of, you know, average work in this league, and he's supposed to be our swing interior lineman. He's been putrid. Um, so those guys, uh, are, I would not, again, I, we, I said it last week and I'll say it again. If we're going to keep nine or 10 linemen, it would not be surprised. It would not surprise me if all up to three of those guys are not currently on our team. I mean, it's yeah. just, we don't really, I, I don't believe, I, I don't think it's a hot take to say that we don't have 10 NFL caliber offensive linemen as we sit here today. Um, Jalen Moore was better, which is, um, I mean, it's, it was it been hard for him to be worse. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's kind of a positive. Matt Pryor was actually, I'm going to give him a shout out. He turns out after I rewatched last week's game, he was not as bad as I thought he was overall. He had a couple of really rough reps that kind of, um, jaundiced my whole view of his performance but overall he was not bad uh, and he backed that uh performance up with another solid performance um 
it still really hasn't played on the left. Um, so that kind of is still up in the air. If you're going to be a swing tackle, you can't just be the right tackle because right, right. it's hurt. Right. You know, and that, that, that's the one thing. Uh, good old Vern Glenn on the sidelines is interviewing Trent and they're putting up his age. And I was like, dang, this guy's 35. Yeah. And he's still fantastic, mm-hmm. but you know, 35 and, and shaking injuries isn't, is, is, is yeah, like I mean, 27 and shaking injuries. So yeah. it just like, it's flashing in my, in my mind, which is, that the 49ers are so talented on skill positions and, and uh, on defense. Trey might be the most valuable player on that squad when it comes to who can you not lose. It's, it gets pretty bleak pretty fast if we lose Trent Williams for any length of time. I mean, McKivitz has been surprisingly good as a pass blocker. You know, he, I didn't realize, I guess because I ain't really, you know, I'm not going to tell I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched much Clinton, I mean, a Colton McKivitz. I remember <laughs> when he played, but, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to that dude. But he is a, he's a big dude. Um, and he's a real good, um, he's a very good pass blocker. He gets in the way. And kind of like Mitch, not to the same extent, but those big dudes just, they always, that's just going to be a flaw. They're going to have problems against the guys that line up wide and are going to try to speed them. That's just, you know, it's just hard for big guys to get moving coordinatedly like a dancing bear. That's just hard. Um, but other than that, if he can use his girth to just get between you and the quarterback, he's going to be all right. And if he gets his hands on you, you got a problem. You know, his problem is going to be getting that big body moving forward in the run game. That was something that Mitch was as a big dude, you know, he kind of had a basketball player's build in that way that he was able to fire out. And he was pretty athletic for a big guy in the run game, which is kind of funny that that athleticism didn't translate in pass blocking at all. Cause those, those guys just gave him fits. Um, uh, so that's been, better than expected and then Burford looks better Banks looks pretty good I don't you know Brindle is Brindle and um Trent is Trent you know but you know Trent he he holds that whole thing together and you know you replace him with prior or more and that I mean that's pretty scary it's a pretty for any length of time that's a pretty scary proposition yeah uh, all right. Is there anyone else you wanted to mention before we end the show talking about our guy Nick? Uh, no. All right. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I guess. Uh, honorable mention to Latu. Um, he's had a pretty rough camp, and he had a pretty good day. Yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. No, he did. He did. He he made the important catch in the end zone, and uh, and yeah, he he he. Yeah, we were. I was making a joke in the Discord about how because of all the negative comments that he's getting from barrows and barrows is at, at this point barrows is just like yep another drop i was mm-hmm. just like man you know or can can we call this 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 early in the training cap someone a bust mm-hmm. but it's just because you know when you're a tight end and they need you to catch balls and you're just dropping them in practice you're just like what's going on but it's 
it, it's a transition of you know becoming a pro and mm-hmm. he's probably thinking of a hundred things and then the one that should be the most instinctual is the one that he just takes for granted and and you know has to go back to the basics so i, I was very happy to see him make yeah. those catches too i think um what bodes well for him is being a rookie with making so many mistakes that he's still getting opportunities, which kind of, which bodes well for him, that he doesn't appear to be in the doghouse, which it seems like, you know, is not hard to do with Kyle. He's still running him out there and giving him targets. So, um, yeah, it's good. It was good for him to see for to, for him to you know pay that off. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, let's talk about Nick. We'll we'll end uh, end this episode talking about him because. Obviously, he by his absence, uh, he is. Uh, it, it is very apparent that he is not there now. If he was there, he may not even play in, in these games. But uh, in the athletic, uh, in today's uh, little reporting, Matt Barrows wrote, "Is the clock ticking for a Nick Bosa extension?" And he is referencing a conversation that he had with John Lynch, and he, you know, saying. How many, how long did you need before you, you know, before you could get ready for the season? And John Lynch said, this this is uh, John Lynch's quote, I needed three weeks. I needed that to get ready. And so I don't know what the right time period for Bosa is. We've talked a lot about it internally, but I think that it's important to give yourself the best chance to not only play at the highest level, but to stay healthy and get yourself primed and ready, calloused to play like that's his big word is calloused he they need to build up the calluses and the and the hits and all of that stuff to to be ready so we are three weeks out from the opening season for the Niners playing in Pittsburgh what who has the leverage here I I can't imagine a player necessarily has the the leverage unless they're just willing to hold out for the entire season. And I'm not sure that that is the case here, but there, I don't think, I also don't think that there's real worry yet. You probably don't get really worried until, you know, the beginning of that last week before the season starts. Uh, But by Nick holding his ground, he does, he does create whatever leverage that, that, that you can have. He does create that by not being here. Uh, but are you worried about Nick yet? Not worried yet, but you referenced in a segment that we did on Nick about a month ago, the Emmett Smith holdout. Yes. And, you know, you, we can say that he's under contract and he doesn't really have any leverage. I can guarantee you that this defense is going to look a whole lot different if we line up week one and Nick Bosa is not at right end and it's Cleveland Farrell or Austin Bryant or whoever the hell else is over there. You can believe that, that um, his presence will be missed. And then that's where a player's, and now if we start running off wins, but even then though, I think our front office is smart enough to know that even if we get off on a hot streak, that's fool's goal. Nick, Bosa, the the only stat that really that that, that jumps out to me, and you could talk about the difference one player makes, yada yada. I get that, but Nick Bosa has been here three years, I mean four years, and we've been to the NFC Championship three of those years, and yes. the one that we weren't there, he was injured. So I mean, 
he is he is legitimate. When you talk about the top of the food chain players in the NFL, he is right up there in whatever you want to say, top four, top five, top ten difference makers in this league, in a league of special athletes. There are there's a like Dion talks about, you know, with the Hall of Fame, we need to have another tier the, the of, pyramid style yeah <laughs> of, of, of hall of famers when you talk about elite players and then elite players nick bosa is in that tier of a handful of game record type of guys and you can you know talk that next man up and all of that you don't replace a nick bosa you, you just don't i mean you you, you don't <laughs> the so the thing that Rod was referencing in the comment that I made. So I believe the year is 1993. So mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. Uh, their first, the young team. You know, this is the Troy Emmett and and Michael Irvin. The the when when they finally got over the hump, uh, and Emmett held out the first two weeks of the season. Those first two weeks of the season, the defending Super Bowl champions went into Washington and lost 35 to 16. Then they had a home game against the Buffalo Bills and lost 13 to 10. Emmett was signed that next week and they reeled off seven straight victories and then eventually won the Super Bowl again. So that that is the kind of impact that I think that Nick has. So you know whatever whatever he is willing to do to hold out whatever the 49ers are are trying to figure out. I don't even know what the dollar amount difference would possibly be between the two uh, parties because, um, you know, they've been, they, they basically said that they're pretty confident that, you know, that, that they're going to work it out. Like we've, we haven't heard from the 49ers side yet that there is any worry. So I, I, I don't know exactly, you know, what, what the possible problem is one Obviously, it's you know Nick wants more money than the Niners are willing to give him at this point, but uh, we don't know how far apart they are. We haven't heard any of that information. So, I mean, I hope it doesn't get there because, you know, if you're Kyle and you finally have the roster, and and look, the, this is a fantastic roster. They've had fantastic rosters. It's almost like. Uh, you know, there's almost so many weapons that Kyle probably feels like, man, I'm I'm a, a very lucky guy here with the roster we put together. But there's always a hitch. It could be injury. It could be something like this. It could be a holdout. It could be an off the field thing that that you know screws up some of the chemistry. And these dream seasons, a lot of the times that the dream seasons happen is because for whatever reason everything just works out the way that you always want it to work out. So this is a little bit of a hitch. The Brock thing could have been a hitch, but it looks like it's going to be okay. We'll see what happens, but I I just hope that the 49ers understand that, you know, this, there is a possibility for this to be a special, special team. And I think the fan base, when is the last time that you've been this excited about a team? Probably a long time. Yeah. I mean, even, even, I would probably say I would probably go back to 2012 because that 2011 team was a little unexpected. 
And then we're like, oh, okay, 2012. And 2012 was a fantastic season. It didn't end the way that we wanted it, but that was, you know, the the best team probably since then. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think I wasn't expecting be... the 2019 team. No. And then the COVID year was kind of a weird year. Yeah. So so 21 wasn't like. I didn't have, you know, a bunch, you know, I, the Niners had to win a lot of games at the, in the second half of that season to even make the playoffs in that 2021. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think so. And then I'm just a couple of things there. I want to pick your brain on is, you know, the social aspect of this type of commentary aside, you know, we saw, you know, how Devo went about his holdout. And you can, you know, I, I'm not getting into that commentary of the unprofessional and diva and all the can- cancerous and all the weird shit you fans fans was out here talking about. <laughs> well, what what was the what was the news that he unfollowed the 49ers Instagram? Page or and that's unprofessional somehow. <laughs> I mean, okay, whatever. But it, I think it bears um, questioning if Nick held in like jt watt did just came and did his work on the side and was you know doing media availability every day and talking about it and in the press every day and just here does is he signed by now if i'm not saying he's even made a mess or said anything negative the fact that he is just you know um you know zero dark 30 it's kind of like out of sight out of mind and there's no real pressure to get anything done you know and and there really is from you know and i look i guess from if i'm his team um i'm going to be the highest paid player in the league i mean mm-hmm. or defensive player defense in the league. player I mean, in the league yeah there there so there's really i mean i guess that's why i can take this stance i don't really have to go out here and stomp or campaign to get my money. Um, but I just wonder if he had a, just a little bit more of a higher profile, um, would there be any more pressure on the 49ers to come to the table than there already is? I think so. But, you know, what do I know? What do you think? Well, the other thing that that we're not even thinking about, right, is his leverage is in getting the deal done now because if he just plays this season next year, the Niners can just tag him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he wants the deal so that he doesn't have to go through a lot of the nonsense that some of these other players get where they just get tagged and have to play on that one year for, you know, whatever the top 10%, I forget what the average is. So to me, that's what this is really about which is, hey, if this is going to be four or five years, he wants those terms dictated for him so that, you know, this, this, uh, the tagging system that still exists in the NFL and doesn't really exist anywhere. And, you know, baseball has their own version of that. But, uh, but that, I think that's really what it's about is he wants the ability, like you said, to not only be the highest paid player, but also what's going to happen is he's going to sign his deal. And then the next guy's going to be like, I want more Nick. And then the next guy's going to go, I want more than that guy that just got more than Nick. And so by the time, you know, after 
two years, Nick's not going to be the highest paid player anymore. He's going to be the fifth highest paid player. And then you have this relationship with the team to be like, hey, let's redo this. And and if I'm still, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm possibly going after Strahan every year, I should be paid in that way. So it's really, I think it's really about the relationship. It's really about him sort of setting the precedent with them saying, this is what I bring to the table and how is the not only this year, but sort of the future of our negotiations going to happen? How you're you're going to show me now how you feel about me, and that's going to tell me a lot about how you're going to handle me in three or four years. He's still really young, so he doesn't really have to worry about you know when he gets thirty or whatever. Like that's still mm-hmm. a little bit away for him, but I really think that that what this is about which is for the star player to be like i need to set this precedence early because by the way this tv money is going mm-hmm. i'm going to be underpaid in two years and i want that ability to then renegotiate and be paid the value that i really deserve and that's the tricky thing for both parties because if i'm nick's agent i'm gonna put my nick my caa agent on uh hat on and i'm gonna say okay check it. You guys, you know, I understand 24 is going to be, you know, a crucible year for you guys and your cap. That's fine. We can negotiate. We can, we can structure it in such a way to give you some relief there. Yeah. Wait, why don't we do this? Why don't we, we make him the highest paid player. We may give him the highest bonus ever. And then let's just do a three-year deal. And then at 28, you know, I'm not saying I don't say that to them, but in my, from my okay, then I'm at 28 and I get another bite at the apple, and we eliminate all of that that you just said that you know the market resets, and then I'm sitting here on a five year deal that is obsolete. If I'm the 49ers, I don't know that I want to play that game. I don't know that I want to be going with Nick Bosa two or three years at a time. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to make him the highest paid player. Why? But I'm not. I don't. I. I. I don't have. I don't know. I don't know what. Um, what Jed's pocketbooks are doing. <laughs> I don't know if Jed can do like, um, Jimmy Haslam did, and just write a check to put Deshaun money, Deshaun Watson's money in escrow. You know, because, um, Pilot J is it pays a little different. Than whatever the hell little side businesses that um Jed has, you know, we've already mentioned that Jed is a billionaire, you know, but his billionaire is different than like the Wal the Walton's billionaire yeah. is, where they their store receipts for this month could cover yeah. Nick Bosa's um, you know, could cover his contract, so they not they're not tripping on. That, so I I don't know how much of that is, you know, the 49ers um, hesitance or even outright inability to maybe they just don't have the ready cash to be able to pay the kind of money that it's going to. And I know that Parag is one of the best in the business that we does. And they can, you know, people who are way smarter than me tell me that there are ways to break the bonus up into two or even three payments to make it, you know more team friendly 
Um, but he gets his money. But I would think that the, the 49ers, it, you know, from the outside looking in, I would think they would be pushing for the longer deal as opposed to the shorter deal because defensive ends, unlike somebody like Debo, where at 28, you know, it's neither here nor, you know, it's up in there. You can, it's a coin flip. After I mean, which was value. probably why they were comfortable going three right. years. It, it's a coin flip that w- will Debo be the player he is now three years from now? No, I don't, maybe, maybe not. But I, you know, barring some catastrophic injury, I don't see, which I mean, is that's the, you can't be not making deals with any player if the fear is a catastrophic industry, in, injury. Because let's face the facts, I mean, it's more inside baseball that any fan really cares about, but that contract is insured. So you, if he is catastrophically injured, it's, you know, it'll, you know, mess up your salary cap, but you're not going to go broke off yeah. of that money. And, and just, just, just remember a lot of these contracts get so blown up for the quarterbacks. Now though, almost all of their money can, can, can be guaranteed, but for these other positions, the only thing that really matters is the guarantee. And Nick's and, and to be fair to the 49ers, his guarantee is going to be massive. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's going to no, be there's big. ways around that. It's going to be the largest guarantee of any non-quarterback in NFL history. So it's not going to be an insignificant amount of money, no matter how you slice it. Um, but I would think, you know, cap be damned. I would rather bite the bullet on that and try to finesse that rather than being in the business of going, you know, every two or three years with yeah. that. Cause I guarantee you the defensive end market, like the quarterback market, it ain't going backwards, but and it's, Nick but it's did. also for, for them, you know, and it, again, it is relationship because Nick and his agent may want to be like, Hey, you know, this this is a five year deal, but we want to be able to come back to the table and say, this is this is mm-hmm. what it is, and this is where the money is. Now you know we need to take care of this. Uh, and, but that's a lot of that is the relationship between right. the parties, and so that's what I'm yeah, hoping you know. is the piece that get that is actually getting taken care of right now. Is like okay, how are we going to how how are we going to work on this thing to make it so that. Nick is going to be happy playing for the contract that he's going right. to sign, not only for this upcoming season, but in three years. How does the, how, you know, I would, you know, I'm not in those rooms and I've never been in those rooms, but I've negotiated contracts before. And I know that probably where we're at is the team is trying to have some sort of cost certainty moving forward. The player wants as much flexibility moving forward as possible. So I want either a short contract or I want a longer contract with some opt with some opt-outs. Um that I'm even willing, you know, if I'm a player, I'm willing to even buy opt-outs that at, you know, at year three, if I give back X amount of money, I can then, you know, opt out. Because that is, you know, flexibility is king because, as you say, the salary cap is not doing going anything up but up. The defensive end market is not going to be doing going anywhere but up. So as a player, I want as much flexibility as possible. And the team wants as much cost certainty as possible. And so it's where, you know, as this, the, the old saw says, um, a great contract negotiation 
um, in a great contract negotiation, both parties leave feeling like they didn't get everything that they wanted, but they're, you know, happy with what they got. And hopefully we're able to get there. I, you know, the, the discourse in a lot of these um, site on the, a lot of these sites are like, he doesn't have any leverage and <laughs> he's just going to play this contract out. I mean, let me tell you, man, he can hold out up to week six, come back week six and still be fully vested for this year. I just, I just can't see how the 49ers, how it benefits them going into next year. Um, how you'd want to even, um, how you'd even want to consider playing the franchise tag game with Nick Bosa, the relationship, like you said, aside, if you're going to be in any kind of cap situation, how in the hell can you have a defensive end cap number hitting the whole cap? I, I just, I don't even see how that's even feasible. Um, and, and to also field a competitive roster, um, it, it just, that would be disastrous for them for his cap number next season to be the full franchise tag. I just, I just don't think, I don't see from that, you know, so in my opinion, that is a part of, you know, that's a leverage angle that he has as the player. It's okay, fine. Let's go ahead and do that. I'll play it out. But you, but I just don't see how the team is able to do that. You know, so we'll see. I don't I, think he plays. I don't think he plays on that, I, and I think they find a way to get him extended. And I don't, but I, and I also don't believe he's he's going to hold out for a whole long time either. So I think something gets done. He shows up prior to week one. I don't know this. I'm 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 guessing. I don't have any inside information. I don't know anybody down there in Santa Clara. But um, just you know who he, he just, needs. He, just... he 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 needs hammer. I'm, well, <laughs> I'm sure Crabtree could um hook him up. <laughs> yeah, we need the liaison. We need Hammer to be the Ooh. liaison between the two teams or the two parties. Uh, you know the the other thing is is that Kyle is a major major decision maker when it comes to the personnel. So you know. He's like, guys, we, you know, he, he has influence there. So I would imagine that that also is something that he's being really vocal about. He wants those, everyone to do their job, but he is, he is a major decision maker when it comes to roster. So that has you got know, to be. He has said famously that he tries to stay out of that stuff in only a few occasions where he has but he butted his head into that room. I know he this said should George be one of them. Was one of those situations where he was like, "Look, guys, <laughs> this dude is our best offensive player. We need to go ahead and get this done." And yeah, like Jim, say, Jimmy. Jimmy doesn't want to throw to anybody else. We need right. George. <laughs> you know, you know. So, this, like you say, and if there was ever a situation where he would stick his head in the room and say something to Parag, I would think this would be one of them. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've got to have this guy. He he really is, again, like I said earlier, he is one of those guys in this league who tilts the field. He is a difference maker. Absolutely. And our team looks different if he's not out there. All right, so for next week, um, I believe you said, because the Niners play Friday night, and I, I think you said that you were going to have some issues with uh, with next week's schedule. 
So here's the thing. I'm going to share it with our audience because oh, you guys go. are like part of my family. I was going to was going to talk to you off air, but <laughs> I am going to Africa. Oh wow! I am fantastic. I am. Um, I'm doing the um Lombardi trip. I'm going to Tanzania and Zanzibar. So I'm doing a safari. Wow! And I'm going to hang out on the beach. And so I'm leaving Saturday. So I could do something. Friday. Um, so I'll be available Friday. I, I wasn't, I thought that the game was Saturday. So Friday I'm available. So okay. Friday is a go whenever, but I am interested in doing something around free agency. So around what we were just talking about earlier, um, the drop deadline and whatnot, we don't have to do it live. We can kind of do it like we did last time. Maybe mm-hmm. if I can get a solid internet connection over there, sure. maybe we can do something um, we can just record something and then you can post it in bits and pieces or as a yep. whole thing. And we can do that because I really want to talk to you guys, even if it's just virtually about the goings on around our 53 man roster. So me and double G will, um, I hope set something up if he, you know, if it works in his schedule Absolutely, you know, with him like, running this, this network and got a billion things going on <laughs> and even moonlighting out on other networks. Um, <laughs> he is like a mogul. So I really like, um, all Bush aside, I really do respect your hustle and what you're doing. And I feel ple- I'm a pleasure to, you know, be a small part of it. So, I, yeah, got, we'll- I got, I got a lot of support. I got a lot of support. Yeah. My wife knows that this is something I really enjoy and we, we, we make the schedule work uh, so I can do a lot of this stuff. Um, okay. So we'll do the show Friday night after, 49ers Chargers, so we'll 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 put that we'll we'll schedule that stream, and then we'll have the podcast the next morning, and then yeah, we'll 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 just work whatever you want to do if we can get uh if if you can get a good signal and and we can do something around when the roster cuts happen and uh, who and you know who's going to be on that team. So uh, and we can we can talk about that after next week when you're all settled on your vacation. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Thanks a lot, you guys. Man, All right. This is a pleasure, man. You guys are the best. All right. I know that was a little bit on the long-ish side, but preseason game number two, we only got three to talk about, so we had to get through a lot of stuff. I hope folks enjoyed it. For Rod, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.